Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. Hello, Emily. Welcome to the Water Women Podcast. Thanks for having me, Jill. I'm stoked to have you on. Let's talk about you and where you started. So you actually just told me that you're from New Brunswick like I am, which is mind-blowing to me. (laughs) So how did you get started in marine biology? Was it something you always knew you wanted to pursue? Um, Kind of indirectly, but I actually began my university degree um, in archaeology, and I graduated um, wow, embar- like way back in the day, <laughs> quite a long time ago, uh, with a degree in archaeology, um, specializing in archaeobotany. And I really fell in love with biology through studying plant remains on archaeology sites and um, began a master's degree in archaeology. And it just wasn't quite the right fit. I really felt anxious about wanting to do something that had very applied real world um impacts now so I decided to go back to school and just do biology Um, and so I transferred to Dow and I did some some biology courses there for a year and all of my university math which by the way I hadn't done any since high school so that was a nightmare Um, (laughs) and and yeah shortly after I had kind of you know made sure I had all of the undergraduate courses I started a master's at Dow in biology and it was pretty serendipitous. I met my master's supervisors and I was volunteering in their labs and uh, they had some funding to do a coral reef project. And when they spoke with me about it, um, I was just way too excited. I, I couldn't stop smiling for about a full day. They told me to think about it and come back to them and chat in a couple of days. And I was, I was just like, nah, this is, this is way too cool. I really want to do this. So um I kind of stumbled into it, and my research was based in artificial reef um, studies and conservation, so I looked at the efficacy of different artificial reef structures in the Red Sea and did a year-long experiment there looking at how those structures varied from the natural reefs. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of the whole progression. So when you went back for your um, degree in biology, you didn't intend for it to be marine biology. You just kind of were like, oh, I, I like biology, but just found the coral reefs? More or less, yeah. I I had always been interested in reef studies, but as someone who was coming from another discipline, I was, I was fairly intimidated early on mm. because it's just such a, a well-documented... Um, Um, there's just so much research so when you're first getting started it's like man there's just so much to learn it's such a biodiverse region which was extremely exciting um and then the more I got into it just I was completely obsessed I initially was very plant-based um in my biology interests but uh with the with my supervisors and the type of work that they do and the project that they um had funding for it just seemed like such an amazing opportunity so it was kind of a leap of faith I guess in that in that regard yeah and how did you end up with reef life um they contacted me shortly after I defended my master's um early 2019 and 
they had just been sent my my thesis, my entire thesis by a researcher, I believe in Florida. Um, and the CEO, she's so wonderful. Uh, her, her name's Melody Brenna. I adore her. Um, and she read the whole thing, like cover to cover and contacted me kind of out of the blue. Uh, and I was just really surprised. I sort of thought that no one but my mother would ever read my full thesis <laughs> from cover to cover. Um but anyway, she did, and she was really excited. Uh, in particular, the second chapter of my thesis was a global synthesis of artificial reefs around the world and what their goals were, whether or not they were successful at achieving those goals for coral conservation, um, with suggestions about how, how we might change the way that we use this technology to address the, you know, the pressing goals in regions around mm. the world. Cool. So before we dive more into what reef life is, you've mentioned artificial reefs. Like you did, that's what you did your master's on. Mm-hmm. Do you want to explain a little bit about like what that is? Sure. Or what they are? Sure. It's kind of a jargony term. Um, so sorry for kind of throwing that oh, in there. It's unexplained. Okay. <laughs> um, they can be a lot of different things. And around the world, <laughs> in fact, they, they range from um, old tires that have been strapped together and put underwater to specifically design and engineered um, eco-concrete or 3D printed structures. But essentially, they're, they're man-made three-dimensional structures in a variety of materials that are put on reefs with the intention of having some sort of conservation application. Granted, many things can become artificial reefs um, if they are de facto or just accidentally submerged, they like a ship, um, they can form an artificial reef as well. Um, okay. So it's sort of most things that are submerged underwater <laughs> where animals will um, accumulate or live on or in them, they, they form similar, in many instances, similar communities and accumulate similar uh, animals as natural reefs. So they've kind of been lumped into this category of artificial reef. Okay, that's super mm-hmm. So it can be something that's either like put there on purpose or just like accidentally becomes a reef, but is not natural kind of thing. Cool. Yeah, which is fairly fascinating. Um, and I yeah. think that's really where the discipline or like looking at at these structures underwater really started was from sunken ships and um honestly like waste that has been thrown in the water like barges and uh like decommissioned military vehicles and things um i i don't condone putting those things in the water purposefully because there's a lot of issues with like leaching of chemicals and things from them a lot of the time um but it's interesting to see the good that does come out of that like it provides some sort of habitat of what like for the ones that are already in there it does kind of create its own little system it does yeah it does and that three-dimensional structure underwater um, really does behaviorally attract all kinds of things all kinds of fish like to shelter in there all kinds of invertebrates and plants and fouling organisms you know like to grow in the shadows or in the light and and they're pretty spectacular which is sort of where the the whole idea of using these actually as restoration tools started so is that what reef life is focusing on? Like, what is reef life? Give us kind of an overview of that. Sure, sure. Um, 
I'm fairly new to the Reef Life team. Like I said, I just sort of started um, just over a year ago now. Uh, and we have a foundation and a nonprofit. Foundation is Reef Life Foundation. Um, so we aim to restore coral reefs around the world using uh, a nanotechnology by our for-profit called Intella Reefs. So Intella Reefs are specifically designed material matrices that are made of pozzolanic minerals and can be custom to each site to enhance certain biological factors at each site or enhance growth of certain species or address certain um, functional goals at each site. So they have, we have very fine abilities to adapt the surface and the chemical composition of um, these mineral mixes to address conservation goals. Um, and on top of that, we have this history within the company of large-scale concrete casting. They started as a concrete company um, way back in the day. And I'm sure Melody would give you a lovely, <laughs> lovely long story about that. Um, and I would definitely not do it justice. But um, they have they have the history and the capacity to build really large-scale structures. So where Reef Life Foundation and Intella Reefs really sit as the, at is at this interesting intersection of the ability to cast large-scale structures, like across possibly kilometers, um, but also being able to fine-tune down to the nanoscale um, a durable mineral matrix that certain species will do like very, very well on. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. So one of your big projects is these IntelliReefs, right? Yes. Yeah. So what are what is what are the difference between these Intelli reefs and something that just is in the ocean or like a live reef? Sure. Um well, a live reef, like a true healthy live reef would always be better, you know, than mm. or at least equal to the best technology that we have out there. Um and I would argue that Intelli reefs really does address a lot of the issues that natural reefs address rather than having, you know, the live, yeah. the live animals on it. But we've basically mimicked a biogenic substrate or a living substrate. So um, it's extremely, extremely durable while still having um, like little, little holes. That's why we call it a matrix. Um, so that animals can actually colonize the interior of the substrate as well as you would in in many living substrates and natural reef um, materials on top of that you also have very careful attention paid to targeting ph balances within the material Uh, yeah and specific chemicals uh, included or natural materials from the region included in the mineral mixtures themselves actually uh to build the most natural biogenic substrate that mimics a natural reef. Now, of course, unless you plant corals on it, it is a bare substrate. Um, So the absolute ideal, not worried about budget case scenario is to build a large scale structure on an ecologically relevant scale as a natural reef. 
um, and plant corals on it to get it started and to attract other corals and other species and things. Um, but even without, you know, even without pre-planting or transplanting corals onto the structures, um, we have mineral mixtures that are specifically designed to chemically attract coral um, and cool. facilitate their growth faster and, and more in a more resilient manner than the competing artificial reef substrates out there. That's super cool. Yeah. So what's your role in this? What do you do on a daily basis kind of thing? <laughs> I am the director of science and communications. Um, so I conduct in-house research. Um, we had a pilot project in the water. It's still in the water, actually. But we went down to St. Martin in January to do our first round of um field work and collect data from the structures they had been in the water for 14 months and the structures were put down to mitigate or to to restore um, hurricane damaged reefs following hurricane irma in 2017 okay mm -hmm. so i um am the director of science in that way so i you know have designed our experiments and our monitoring regimes for um for the structures that we have in the water uh, and experiments that we are hoping to collaborate on and, and continue to do in the future. And then I also am in charge of kind of communicating that within all of our, you know, online materials and all of our um, yeah. presentations and things. So the science communication aspect, so making sure that there's storytelling and proper communication of our scientific results to the general public and to funders and potential clients and things kind of a nice. farm farm to table type of <laughs> practice. Um, yeah. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> These Intelli reefs, are they kind of like a one size fits all mold? Like do you guys just have something that you print out or can they be modified or adjusted? Anything like that? Absolutely. Yeah. So we have, a couple products that um, we do build in a modular form that basically anyone can order ready to go. Um, but really where our passion lies, especially right now, is is in custom-made structures. So if you can dream it, we can cast it. That's the benefit of having this really strong background in, in concrete casting. Yeah. Um, so we look at things, you know, like casting underwater like architectural monuments we're looking at things like casting what we're calling black diamond dives which are basically like dive runs that you can do underwater through a labyrinth you know cool. um if you can if you can dream it up we can cast it which is just such a fun creative um way to do conservation we're really passionate about participatory conservation so creating an underwater experience for people that they've never had before and that brings them closer to the reefs and makes them really passionate about the reefs that they're diving on oh um, absolutely yeah yeah so these unparalleled experiences are currently a pretty big focus of ours right now yeah It'd also be cool to get to see that because hearing about these is one thing, but to actually like see them would just, mm -hmm. it would help you almost understand it and digest it easier. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And the benefit as well, um, well, the monetary benefit for um, ecotourism companies or resort companies that may want to purchase uh, a custom product from us is that a lot of dive tourism is is funneled away from natural reefs that may be a little bit stressed out and Ooh. targeted at this this other structure and that can actually be in an area that you know draws people away from natural reefs or is is not directly on the natural reef but will still accumulate um, a similar community over time um, which is really really exciting it's it allows not only a new community to form an additional habitat to form but also draws some of the stress and attention away from the natural reefs which which we believe is very important um, yeah so, so that's has... kind of like a win for all things because these dive resorts get like a place that they can dive these corals that are looking for a place to settle have a new home the natural reefs have time to build up like it's really it's a win-win-win kind of thing that's awesome it's pretty exciting we've also been toying around with ideas of like if there is a local um like coral nursery or marine biological institute that grows corals um way in the future there could be something like you know participatory conservation initiatives where resorts get on board with these biological institutes and actually their tourists can can plant coral fragments and can can plant them right onto the structure there on site um so we have all of these little applications for areas where where corals can be planted by tourists and and kind of elevate that participatory experience in the in that other way as well and also you know plant corals which is always hard to get manpower for yeah that is awesome. And you never know who you're going to inspire with that one little, like, this might be just like a random family who decides to do this excursion. And then all of a sudden their daughter wants to be a marine biologist just because of that or study corals just because of that. So that is so cool. Yeah, we think so. We think so. We're really excited about the, uh, the way that the company is expanding and the foundation is expanding. Well, I just learned about it and I'm already <laughs> excited about it. Well, we'll have to have you come down, come down and dive with us sometime. I'm absolutely convinced. So <laughs> it was not that hard. Um, so how do you guys plant the corals? Like you said earlier that um, your dream would be to be able to plant the corals. So on some of these reefs that you're putting in, do you put corals or do you like plant corals on them? Or are there times where you just like see what settles on it? Currently, our underwater structures um, are accumulating natural growth and wild spawn. So down in St. Martin, we were totally blown away um, in just over a year to see a bunch of coral recruits just naturally recruiting out of the water column on our structures, um, which really does show us, we're very excited about it because it really does show us that we've created a substrate that corals like, they want to settle on. Um, just to give a little bit of background, corals reproduce by either um, casting their gametes into the water column or by by brooding the gametes or the fertilized gametes inside of them and then releasing them. Um, and then once they're in the water column, they, they kind of float around on currents as they develop. And when they're ready to settle, there's all kinds of cues, chemical cues, light cues, even sound. Um, that tell a coral larvae when it's found a healthy reef, when it's found a suitable environment. So we were really honored and excited that 
so many corals decided that our relatively small structures down in St. Martin were the place that they wanted to call home. Uh, so that was, that was really wonderful. Um, so we, you know, we have these structures ready to go in areas that people aren't looking to plant, but they will naturally grow corals. Um, provided there are corals anywhere in the region and the, the currents bring them anywhere close, um, they, you know, they'd like to settle there. For corals, for things that are so picky, they're also just not picky at all. They're kind of like, well, we'll go wherever we go, but we're not going to settle here unless it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, they really never do what you think they're going to do. Um, I remember I, my experiment during my master's, we laid out all of these just very standard settlement tiles. And I can't tell you, there was like a, we had a standardized buffer around the edge that was like a centimeter where we were like, okay, that is excluded from the zone we are counting <laughs> for, you know, coral recruitment and, and what have you, because it was a slightly different texture. And when, anyway, you wouldn't believe how many corals settled like four millimeters from where they would have been counted. Um, so they definitely have a mind of their own and they can be, they can be finicky, but they can also be really resilient. Um, so in, in my Which mind, good. It, it's good. It is. Well, it's very good. Yes. It's great yeah. that they are so resilient. Um, and down where we, where we work in St. Martin, there's not that many background corals in the, in the natural reef community. Um, I having seen, uh, prior to going down, having seen footage from the area, I wasn't sure we would get any because the structures are, you know, were pilot structures, relatively small, and the background community just, I knew, wouldn't be producing as many new coral recruits as a, a big, vibrant, healthy reef. Um, so that was really exciting and uh, I think speaks a lot for the products that we use. Yeah. So how long have you guys been doing this and working on it? Like, or not just you yourself, but this, like, how long has reef life been a thing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's hard because it, you know, began as a, the for-profit began as a concrete casting yeah. company. Um, and then I know that Melody can tell this story much better than I can. But anyway, they were approached by people in Florida that were looking for coral conservation structures. Um, and they were like, you know, you guys have to get in on this. Your structures would be so durable. They'd be so much better than what, you know, what's currently in the water in Florida. Um, Florida is notorious for just having, you know, vehicles, barges, bridges. Like if you can sink it, it's down there. Um, so having really quality coral conservation oriented artificial reefs down there was something that um, we were approached about really early on. And that, you know, that was probably about 10 years ago, I want to say. And then the foundation kind of developed from there. That was sort of the spark. And then, um, but the, the earlier phases, I want to say it's about 20 years in the making. Um, Interesting. But the, uh, the current work that we're doing in St. Martin is, is fairly new. It's just been in the, in the works for about two years. The structures have been underwater now for about oh, almost 20 months, I think. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a long time. Yeah. But we're excited. We're, we're so excited. We have a permit to go down and, and put some bigger, uh, beautifully designed um, hawksbill turtle sculptures in the water of three different sizes. Um, so we're just, we're just dying to get back in the water. And it's been, it's been a little bit, 
of course the world is in a really strange place right now so it's been a little bit hard figuring out when that's going to happen especially where you know half the team is American and probably won't be allowed into countries for a little while yeah um so we'll see that was supposed to be this summer but it's going to be put off a little bit well fingers crossed it's very soon yes and you guys are finding that these are acting as like like they're really doing what they're okay I don't know like I'm trying to have phrases what else am I trying to say like they're doing like it's coming what you guys expect expected like you guys are they're thriving really is what that's happening they are yeah they are so the artificial reef that we had we had one in a marine protected area um, one in a throughway and then one um, on a seagrass bed in this fairly hot well it's a very high traffic area quite quite polluted um, bay in Phillipsburg and St. Martin um, so there's quite a bit of runoff tons of boat traffic and cruise ships and stuff going by uh, and it it's still you know there weren't any coral recruits on the one in the bay. I think that's more due to the currents than um, than anything because there's not really a, a coral community that was very close. Um, but they were incredibly biodiverse, which is, you know, even in such a degraded area, they hosted so much life, crabs, seaweeds, um, tons of sponges, bivalves, and they really were still covered in life, um, which just was not in the surrounding communities. Uh, So that was very exciting. And then the other two were the two where all the coral recruits were found. Um, The one on the MPA had more coverage, like percent coverage of benthic colonizable area than the natural reefs, which is just unbelievable. Like the whole thing was absolutely covered. Every inch of it was covered in in animals. Um, and what was really exciting was that there wasn't too much turf algae, which is always, you know, a problem in the Caribbean, having turf algae and macroalgae kind of preempt all of the space. Um, but it was, yeah, it was just covered in, in a healthy reef community. Uh, one of the early phases of reef development um, is the colonization of Christus coralline algae, which mm. kind of primes the substrate and pr- provides chemical cues for coral settling. Um, and the structures were just, you know, that was the base layer across the whole structure was Christus coralline algae. And then you had bivalves and sponges and then, you know, beautiful tube worms and corals. And um, it was, it just was like textbook healthy reef community. And at the early stages, that's that's pretty phenomenal after just yeah. over a year. So once you do get that, like, CCA, that really kind of just, once you get that, you're set kind of thing, because it provides, like, the cues and an attachment substrate and everything like that? I mean, it there if, if the reef was very disturbed um, or something really awful happened, of course, you know, that would, that would uh, take away the benefit of having the CCA. Yeah. Um, but, but generally if it is there, um, and the substrate is not preempted by crazy invasive species or other things, um, you can usually expect a healthy reef community to form. Um, Okay. So it's kind of like one of the building blocks you need on like the bottom tier to build up this, like a pyramid of a healthy reef kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. 
So if people want to get involved with this and if someone wanted to help out before uh, you guys had set up these reefs with uh, resorts, how could they do that or where could they get involved? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, certainly anyone that is looking to put structures in the water or is interested in in discussing about a collaboration, the easiest place to start is just shoot us an email. Let us know that you're excited about what we do and what you do and you want to collaborate. Um, that's a great place to start. If you're just kind of a concerned citizen that is really passionate about, about ocean conservation and reef issues, um, we do have an active campaign for um, raising funds for our work in St. Martin to go down there and uh, put the turtle structures in the water. Um, and that's on Global Giving. We have we have an active campaign there. We've currently raised over, it's over 11,000 Canadian. It's funny because wow. since I'm in Canada, <laughs> I always see the Canadian version and then my colleagues always see the US, the US currency and we're like, oh, no, wait, we've raised 11,000. No, it's only, anyway, but. Um, but yeah so it's going it's going really well and we had throughout the month of June we were part of their global giving accelerator program um, which is kind of like a trial run to get on their fundraising platform and if you do well and you're accepted they really push you out to like big big funders you know like Coca-Cola and Nike and all those all those funders so we we did really well and we passed the program and now we're just kind of like every day you know anxiously hoping (laughs) um that we yeah that we get a wonderful philanthropic massive donation that would just fund the whole thing but anyway so that's you know kind of a pipe dream maybe but if there's any billionaires listening right now uh (laughs) please pass your funds on (laughs) i mean even if you have ten dollars and you're listening we would uh we would love and actually we do um we do try to let people know like where, where their funds go. We have uh, a gift a reef program where you can actually like, you know, purchase a, a piece of reef in your name kind of thing, uh, which is I really exciting. So that's on our website as well. Um, but we're really, we're really pushing this global giving campaign right now because it is such a large platform. And uh, I think that something really amazing could come from it. So. Yeah, absolutely. You said that you work with a lot of strong women. So that must be really amazing to have such a nice community of women focused on the same thing as you. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of our key team members and women that we or people in general that we collaborate with are women. Um, And one lovely thing within the conservation sphere, I find in general, um, and a lot of uh, other like social justice nonprofits that we that we chat with from time to time, it's full of women wanting to do better for women and wanting to uplift women and amplify um, each other's voices. And it has created this pretty amazing sense of community. Um, previously, I, I working in academia, I felt like women. I worked with some pretty amazing, strong female scientists. Um, and some of them were really good at uplifting women and some of them not not so much. Some of them I found were fairly hard on women mm. because they knew it would be tough for them. And I, and I can yeah. respect that as well. Um, but I think that the sphere I work in now 
is really concentrated on spreading good and, you know, being, you know, caring about each other and caring about the environment and tying that all into the work that we do. Um, and I'm very inspired by, by our CEO, Melody Brenna. She really um, just has the biggest heart and believes in everyone so strongly. And uh, I actually just met her. We've been working together now for over a year, but I just met her in March um, when I went down to Utah just before <laughs> COVID really got bad. Um, and I actually ended up having to do like a, a mad dash out to the Canadian border before it closed. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, meeting her and working with her uh, really showed me that that you can be just... Uh, you know, you can have a huge heart and still work um, in business and still work in science and you can let your heart be your compass and amazing things will come out of that and people will really rally behind you. Um, so that that drives me forward daily and I'm Absolutely. very appreciative of that. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that you can still like with women in STEM, you can really acknowledge that it's going to be a difficult path and it's going to be hard and you're going to have to obviously fight for your spot, but you don't have to be a person that that person is fighting. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that enough people drag women down that we really don't need to do it to each other. Exactly. Um, it's just been too much of that, but I know, you know, it is competitive. It's competitive in the sciences and you do have to be strong because people will question. I've had my integrity or not integrity. Sorry. My authority. <laughs> Oh, um, questioned in my work so much because I, you know, I'm 30, but I look quite young for my age. Um, even down in St. Martin, one of the amazing business partners we work with, she saw me and she was like, well, you're just a baby scientist. <laughs> and I was like, I, thanks. I don't know how to respond to that. Um, so it's, it's something that's kind of a weird, a weird thing to, you know, to fight on a daily basis. You wouldn't think that you would have to, but for women, it's still very present. Oh, absolutely. Even in my job, like I work on a boat and oftentimes I'm the most qualified in safety, mm -hmm. but the men that come on the boat, like I'll be like, Hey guys, like you need to go down these stairs backwards. Cause the stairs on our boat are basically a ladder. And they are like, Oh no, like I'm not doing that. I'm going down frontwards. I'm like, no, like that's really dangerous. <laughs> and I really need you to go down the front. And you think like, Hey, like I like I know more about the safety of this boat than anyone on here. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and unfortunately, like I think we've progressed a lot in the way that women are viewed in the workplace. But every once in a while, it's just it's a very <laughs> real, real thing for us that people a real still, struggle. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're a younger woman, I think that you know some of the older women that have been through a lot have a bit more gravitas, maybe. Um, but if you're young, you have two things against you, I guess. But. Yeah. So before we head off, where can people find Reef Life and yourself on social media to follow along? Sure. Um, you can follow at Reef Life Foundation on Facebook and Instagram or Reef Life 911 on Twitter. And for me, I am at Emily the Reefer on Instagram. <laughs> um, feel free to, to follow me there. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Emily. It was amazing to have you on. Thanks so much, Jill. It was great to speak with you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. You can follow along with Water Women on all our social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Water Women podcast and on Twitter at Water Women pod. You can also check out our website, waterwomenpodcast.ca for some interactive activities and for a behind the scenes look at each podcast and the woman behind it. And until next week, stay salty. Mm-hmm.